Hello everyone, welcome to the Lux Research Webinar, Anticipating the Tectonic Shift in Oil and Petrochemicals. Um, I'm Mike Coleman, hosting today, and the speaker will be uh, the staffer gentleman you see on the, on the screen, uh, Brent Giles. He's a research director at Lux, and he's been um, helping to start up and lead a, a lot of our research on oil and gas, as well as uh, corporate strategy. So throughout the webinar, you can type any of the questions you have in the Q&A box on your screen. Please don't use the chat box for questions. Um, we'll answer as many questions as, as we can, time permitting. Um, but uh, if your question does not get answered on the webinar, please feel free to email marketing at luxresearchinc.com and, and we can get back to you by email. Uh, we do have all of the attendee phones on mute to, to minimize background noise. Um, and we're ready to get started, so let me introduce Brent Giles. Thanks, Mike. So today I'm going to talk about uh, the, the changes that we expect to see in the oil market and how that's going to affect uh, the downstream petrochemicals industry. Um, and the, the research that I'm going to be, be going through is, is based on a, a really wide range of, of uh, expertise. Our, our, our analysts um, have looked, from, looked at everything from um, biofuels to, um, to, to energy storage, um, and, I'll, and I'll show you a little bit of that. Um, but um, really, Lux is a unique partner for companies that are looking for growth through technology because of the technical training of, of our analysts, the very critical uh, way that we look at markets and and, uh, and extrapolate where we where we think markets are going to go, um, and how we how we challenge traditional thinking. So today I can give you just a little bit of a taste of of what we've been working on, um, and and help help hopefully give you some food for thought. But to, but be sure to reach out to us and and talk to us about uh, about your particular situation and how to um, and how to and how to grow um, uh, in in these situ in in, in, the, in this in this very dynamic space. So I want to talk about oil, but I'm going to start um, by talking about another commodity, uh, which you probably don't think of as, as problematic, uh, and that's sugar. Uh, sugar in the 1700s would would have been top of mind uh, when you when you thought of uh, of uh, commodities that 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 had the potential to really cause trouble. Um, not only did it uh, did it fuel a burgeoning slave trade, but it um, caused or exasperated uh, wars between the major powers, um, and, and and really caused a lot of trouble. And if you if you look at this quote uh, here from a, a famous historian, um, this kind of language looks quite familiar, right? This is the, this is the sort of thing that we expect oil to be causing uh, today. If you look through history at commodities that that um, cause trouble. Or, or that, that are highly influential. Uh, they've got a few key factors in common. One is that their target markets really have an insatiable demand. So um, sugar started as a very luxury good and, and gradually as the, as the supply grew, more and more had, people had access to it and, and, it, uh, and it, it just exponentially grew and grew and grew. Um, they tend to be sourced in remote places, uh, far from the powers that, that be, and, and, and so those powers feel fairly uh, safe uh, fighting over them because they're not, they're not fighting in their own backyard. And there's no effective substitute for, for these commodities. 
so in the case of sugar, you had something like honey, but honey couldn't be scaled in the same way that sugar could. Uh, and so and so it was it was uh, um, really the only place you could go for for that particular um, um, source. Sugar eventually uh, became oops hang on. Okay, so so sugar eventually became less important um, because the uh, there were more sources um, available. So uh, tropical places like India began to grow it, um, and um, and local sources uh, began to to eventually creep in. So sugar beets can be grown in in uh, closer to the target markets, and they began to uh, to um, to, to come in play. And eventually, although it took a long time, substitutes like high fructose corn syrup came into play and, uh, and, and made it less, uh, less important. So, um, so we don't today think of, of sugar as a problematic commodity, and the only people who really know the price of sugar is, are, are, are the people that, that, that trade it on a day-to-day -day basis. If we look at the oil industry through uh, this lens, uh, first of all, let's let's define what oil is and why it's important. Um, most of the oil that we draw from the ground is used as a transportation fuel, and um, and so that really means that even though we use oil for a lot of different things, um, the the driver that that causes it to be transported around the world is is really for the transportation fuel, and as we as we look at the pressures on the oil industry right now, they start to look very similar to what happened in the sugar industry. Um, we've seen over the last 20 years or so lots, lots more com countries um, getting into the, into the oil production business in a large way. Um, places like Brazil and, and Russia have certainly become major uh, sources and, and started to weaken um, uh, cartels like OPEC. We've also seen in the last few years uh, some major effects from uh, new technologies allowing local sourcing. Um, fracking in North America has, has had a, a massive impact on, on the dynamics of, the, of oil pricing and, and, uh, and how it's transported around the world. And if you're driving around um, the highways today, you're just beginning to see substitutes like electric vehicles start to hit the roads in a serious way. Um, and so we're seeing all of those dynamics hitting in a much faster way than they did in the sugar industry, where it took really 200 years for, uh, um, for all of these uh, pieces to fall into place. The, uh, the graph I'm going to show you in a minute is based on uh, the wide-ranging research uh, of Lux analysts, and it ranges from um, pricing lithium-ion battery packs uh, and understanding what the dynamics of, of that are as, as they scale, um, to understanding uh, the impact of things like automation and and um, and adjustments to the to the grid um, as far as uh, electric vehicles and hybrid vehicles go, and and things as diverse as, as uh, um, biofuels. Advanced biofuels have the potential to be very useful. In, uh, in an industry that's otherwise very dependent on oil, like the, like aviation, um, but that but 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 the scale will never match uh, match oil. So you have to you have to pay attention to uh, um, you know 
what the prices are for various feedstocks and things like that. So there's a lot of very deep analysis that, that goes into this relatively simple graph that I'm going to show you. Uh, and I just want you to understand where this is coming from. So if you look at demand for oil and you, and you, and you, you extrapolate it from uh, previous demand and, and, uh, um, and look at the development of, of, uh, of vehicle travel in, in the develop, developing world and things like that, uh, we expect um, the demand uh, for transportation to about double uh, by 2040. So I'm using this very simple y-axis, which is basically 2017 vehicle equivalents. And, um, and I'm, I'm doing that for a reason because I want to I want to I want to keep things simple here. I don't want to get into a, um, I, I don't want to I don't want to get into a lot of conversions. Um, so the oil industry is used to seeing this kind of growth in demand, and um, and that's pretty much the the type of dynamic that it's seen for the last 110 years, with the exception of occasional recessions and depressions, uh, when the demand went down slightly. If you begin to layer in the effect of alternatives, um, for instance, uh, reductions in, in um, uh, the need for oil because of hybrids, um, the, uh, the use of biofuels in, in places like a the aviation industry, um, alternatives to diesel for, for trucking and for, uh, and for heavy vehicles, uh, and especially electric vehicles themselves, you begin to see that there's a lot of downward pressure on the demand for oil, regardless of this growth in uh, um, in vehicle uh, in vehicles around the world. And this Lux typically has very conservative uh, estimates in these things, and we've been very accurate and very conservative in our um, in our graphs of of adoption of electric vehicles. Uh, but even with this conservatism, we see that. By the early 2030s, oil demand begins to flatten out, and it, it falls off really very rapidly after that. Um, of course, after that, uh, modulations in the, in the price of oil are going to strongly affect its demand. Um, but at that time, but by that time, the, uh, the, the uh, dynamics have really begun to change, and, and things are, are very different. So if we look at that, we really have to figure out what's next. What's the what what's the effect? What are the knock-on effects of a flattening of, of a systematically flat, flattening oil demand? Um, if you look at the sugar analogy, which isn't perfect at this point, but but it, but it's interesting. Um, not all sugar barons just dried up and blew away at the end at the end of the the time of high sugar prices. Uh, a lot of them moved into downstream products like rum, and some of those companies still exist. Um, oil companies right now uh, have some profitability because their their downstream operations, notably refineries, um, are now using very cheap feedstocks and and, uh, and, and becoming profitable that way. Uh, it's a complete reversal from the the profitability in the past. Um, the only company on this graphic that's pretty much a a, a pure play upstream uh, company, ConocoPhillips. Uh, has not benefited from this, and you can see that they they went from an extremely profitable company to a very unprofitable company very quickly. But we know that um, refineries are not going to be um, uh, the, the the savior of this industry because as oil demand continues to soften, 
um, even the refineries are not going to be that profitable. And the oil companies know this. So they're continually innovating to try to, um, to, try to keep ahead of the curve. And they're doing it in, in lots of different ways. So this is a tool that we use um, to understand large and mid-sized companies. Um, and I'll walk through it a little bit. We call it the, com the Lux Competitive Benchmark. Uh, the x-axis is business execution, so things like profitability and momentum, um, whether the company is solvent or not, whether it's got a lot of debt. Uh, those are the things that, that, that go into the x-axis. Um, and you can see, just, uh, just looking at that axis, that there's some differentiation between, say, a BP and a Pioneer. Um, some companies have made better, better choices than others uh, in the past, and, uh, and it's affected their, uh, their profitability and et cetera. Um, the size of the circles are the relative revenue um, of the companies. The really interesting thing here that, that allows us to differentiate these companies is the innovation metric, which is on the y-axis. And, and it shows, uh, it's, it's evenly divided between inside innovation, which is things like R&D spending and, uh, and patent activity, and outside innovation, which is uh, funding startups, uh, making acquisitions that are technology-based, and, uh, um, and, and, and basically um, interacting with the outside world as far as technology is concerned. So I'm going to pick a little bit on two companies here uh, because they're both very, very high in the innovation metrics. So they're both obviously doing a lot for their futures and, and, working, to, uh, um, and, and, and working to remain profitable and, 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 and proactive. Uh, so ExxonMobil and Total operating in very different environments. If you're just following the headlines of oil companies, uh, you know that there's a lot of different activities that are, that are going on. Um, and uh, and they, they range from, say, Statoil going into offshore wind, which makes sense because they've got an, uh, some ability to, to operate offshore, um, to companies like uh, Saudi Aramco um, going partially public just to get, get some, wring some cash out of uh, what's now a very profitable industry. Um, to uh, um, shell doubling down on deep water drilling because they want to take this uh, this uh, um, sunk cost that they've that they've got and and continue to wring profits out of it for as long as possible. But I'm going to claim, and I'm oversimplifying here a little bit, that there's really only two directions you can you can go. You can double down on the oil industry, and here I'm I'm going to use ExxonMobil, although it's not entirely fair. Um, or you can try to get out. And again, I'm going to use Total, and that's not entirely fair either because Total, Total is still a, 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 a very much a, a, an oil company as well. Um, but I'm going, to, I'm going to pick on these two companies a little bit because the directions they've gone, at least in, 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 uh, in the public eye, are, are quite different. So if you look at ExxonMobil's um, history, recent history of, of acquisitions, um, they're very much um, shoring up the reserves that the company has, um, and not just uh, not just oil reserves, but also natural gas. I'm not going to talk a lot about natural gas, although it certainly got legs in North America, and there's there's a lot of a lot of uh, indication that there's that that there's a lot of potential there and a, and a lot of potential profitability there. Um, the renewables that ExxonMobil um, invest in are typically early stage, and uh, and and 
it tends to uh, to fund academic research and uh, and and very early stage uh, partnerships in uh, in things like algae produced fuels, which uh, which we we know aren't going to, to come to fruition very soon. Um, on the other hand, it invests in a lot of interesting technologies like taking crude to chemicals directly um, and and just in more efficient production uh, that allows it to to wring more profits out of its out of, out of its uh, uh, resources and um, and so not to not to minimize this strategy at all I think I think given Exxon oops given Exxon's um, history and uh, in, in, in where, it, where it generally operates, uh, there's a lot of potential for this strategy. Uh, but you have to understand that this is a doubling down on petrochemicals um, and, uh, and, and it comes with those risks. If you look at a company like Total, um, the strategy has been quite different, although it's still very much an oil company and a lot of its profits coming from oil. Um, it's made major investments in moving toward uh, next generation grid, essentially, uh, buying last year a, a very large uh, lithium ion battery company and making all of the acquisitions around that, that, that acquisition that, that they need to have the, the expertise and the understanding and the, and, and the technology to, uh, to move into really what is still in, in the energy space, but a very, very different field. Um, this is a really complicated strategy. Um, you're going from a, a company that uh, that employs large numbers of, of petrogeologists and uses its supercomputers to uh, to understand um, geology to a, a company that that is now dependent entirely on on things like uh, uh, solar power um, with a whole different set of expertise. Um, we've seen companies fail at this. We've seen companies put a lot of investment in and then find out that they invested in the wrong thing. Or they uh, or they invested too early, um, and so this is a really really complicated difficult strategy. Uh, but for a European company, um, it makes a lot of sense because they're seeing the writing on the wall a lot earlier than the American companies are. Um, so this is the other direction that these that these companies can go. But we're going to make the assumption that um, that most of these companies are not going to completely make a shift to uh, to non-oil uh, 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 production um, in the next few years. So let's talk a little bit about what um, downstream looks like. Today, what we do with, uh, with uh, oil is move it around to where the, the transportation fuel is needed, and then we use um, the uh, then we then we take the crude and we refine it to uh, um, to make the transportation fuel. And as we do that, we take a few percent off and we make petrochemicals with it. So uh, just for as an illustration, even as Europe's share, uh, even as Europe's uh, production of chemicals increased over the last few years, um, as China's number of vehicles increased, uh, China's production of petrochemicals increased, and Europe's share of global um, Chemical production actually actually dropped, um, and I'm not claiming a one-to-one -one relationship here, but these things are closely related. As oil prices drop, the sources of oil are going to change, and this is going to have profound consequences on on where chemicals are produced. Um, the cheapest sources of oil are all in the Middle East. 
Uh, and so we can expect the Middle East to continue chugging out uh, oil even as uh, more marginal markets uh, start to start to shut down. Um, and that's going to have a big big consequence on, on where you want to make your plastics. Just as an illustration, uh, this is a map of BASF's facilities around the world, and I want you to concentrate just on the two uh, large facilities in the middle in Northern Europe. Uh, both of these are square kilometers in extent, hundreds of facilities, and they depend on transportation fuel being transported as crude uh, from the Middle East to and elsewhere to, uh, to Northern Europe. Um, and then refined as a transportation fuel, and then a few percent being taken off for the for the production of of chemicals, and um, and you can imagine as uh, Saudi Arabia becomes more, um, it starts to accelerate its its development of of crude chemicals, um, that you're not going to see nearly as many feedstocks flowing into these areas. You've got Europe banning. Uh, diesel and, and gas-powered cars, uh, or at least planning to, and, um, and, and you're really going to see a, a, a decrease in the feedstock coming into Northern Europe. Um, so it, further investment in these types of facilities is going to be very problematic. Uh, since we've got the map up, let's look at the, um, at the other portions of the world that we might be concerned about. Uh, we know that China continues to um, uh, make noises at least about reducing the the uh, import of of oil. Um, so over time, we expect that uh, that 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 will be a less uh, attractive place to be making petrochemicals as well. Uh, whereas in the Gulf of uh, in the on the Gulf Coast in in the U.S., uh, we've got a lot of natural gas feedstocks, uh, natural gas liquids, and uh, and and that will probably continue to be viable for quite some time. You do have to pay attention to the geography, but there are certainly places where you're going to have to be very careful about making further investments in, uh, in, in chemical production. So I, I, I said a little bit about uh, the strategies of oil companies, and, and here I'm just going to use um, a couple of logos uh, as illustrations. So I'm, I'm oversimplifying these companies fairly dramatically, but. Uh, just so just so we have some some feel for what we're talking about. Um, we know that oil companies won't completely succeed in moving to different markets and and and, and getting completely out of out of oil. They're going to be sitting on some uh, on some commodities uh, by the early 2030s, and they're going to want to do something with them. Uh, if they can't sell them as crude and they can't sell them as transportation fuel, the the natural tendency is going to be to go downstream towards chemicals, and that's going to put a company like ExxonMobil even more at lock, at, 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 in competition with with companies like like Dow, um, that uh, you know they they really want to be selling their uh, their chemicals in in large quantities and in train loads, and 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 ExxonMobil is going to be sitting on cheap resources that. Uh, that, that give them some advantage over these more established uh, downstream chemical companies. So, what do you, if you're a Dow or a company like Dow, what do you do um, if you're feeling this pressure from upstream? Well, one temptation might be to move into something like specialty chemicals, and I'm using DuPont here as an example. Um, DuPont put a lot of energy into 
into trying to um, specialize into high-performance plastics. And the results were pretty mixed because the, they, they had a hard time finding high-volume um, high applications um, that didn't force them to keep going back into the lab and fine-tuning uh, for new clients all the time. Uh, and so, so what, what they were really doing, rather than, than rein, reinventing brand new chemicals, was, was just kind of marginal development of, of very similar chemicals over and over again. And, um, and, and, and that really decreased their profitability and, and led to the fairly uneven uh, merger between Dow and DuPont. If you go even farther downstream to a very different company like 3M, you, you, you now have profitability again um, and, 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 and quite high profitability. But now your corporate culture is very, very different. Now you're thinking of ways to uh, please end customers, in some case consumers, um, something that, that a company like Dow um, would rather not have to get itself into it would it would rather be selling the bulk chemicals um, so making that jump all the way to those end user products if you're not a company like that already is is uh, is very problematic now that said as oil prices drop um, you're going to see petrochemicals in a lot more products because uh, because it's simply going to be affordable to to do that so a couple of other ideas of how um, a company like Dow can adjust um, partnerships and, and acquisitions of oil companies are a possibility just to give a company like this access to cheap, cheap uh, um, petrochemical uh, feedstocks. Uh, this seems kind of fanciful at the moment because these oil companies are, are known to be fast-growing, very, very profitable, very deep-pocketed companies, uh, but that's going to be less and less true going forward, and you're going to start to see these types of, of uh, partnerships. You can always move into chemicals that are not petrochemicals, and uh, um, and certainly um, there are companies that that their, most of their profile is non-petrochemical. Uh, that doesn't completely save you from from commoditization, as we've seen uh, in, in in areas like uh, titanium dioxide. There's certainly there's certainly problems in those markets as well. But, uh, but it, at least it gets you off of this direct train uh, of, of lower prices. And I would encourage companies to look more at biologicals, not just in, in agriculture, but also in, um, in areas uh, like, uh, like flavorings, uh, where we see uh, lots of relatively small companies playing. Uh, all of the feedstocks are natural, at least the high-value high feedstocks are natural. And, um, and, and the market is quite high. Uh, there, there's a lot of possibility in, in, uh, in areas like that, uh, and, it, and it still involves uh, very, fairly large uh, processes that, uh, that result in fairly, fairly large quantities of, of product. So just a couple of takeaways before I finish here. Um, we really need to keep in mind this long-term trend in transportation. We're really going to see a drop in the demand for, for oil and transportation, and that's something that, uh, that, that we, we can't ignore if we're anywhere in this, uh, in this industry. There's going to be dramatic differences in what happens in different regions. Um, as Europe aggressively moves away from uh, oil-based cars, uh, we're really going to see some changes in, in the dynamics there in the petrochemical space. Um, 
we're also going to see more opportunities for uh, using petrochemicals in, in, uh, in different markets as the cost of, of oil drops. Uh, and we're going to see um, new and changing competition as companies maneuver in this space to try to, to, try to optimize their profitability in the face of a, of, of a feedstock whose value is dropping very rapidly. So with that, I'm going to stop and, uh, and, uh, and open it up to questions. Thanks, Brent. It's a, it's a really thought-provoking uh, presentation, and um, I'm sure we'll get a lot of questions. Uh, we've already got some coming in. You can type all of those into the Q&A box on the, uh, on the WebEx app. Um, please don't use the chat box for questions. Use the Q&A. Um, if we don't get to your question on the call, uh, again, feel free to email marketing at Lux Research, Inc. You can see the, the address in the, the upper right box on the screen there. Um, after the webinar, and, and we'll, we'll route that, that question appropriately. Um, so I think one of the most interesting things about the, this, Brent, is the, the, the strategies that you outlined, first for the oil companies, um, and it strikes me it's, it's kind of a matter of, of maybe not which strategy you use, but what the right timing is, right? Is, is it, you, you, obviously, it makes sense for all these companies to keep investing in, in improving the efficiency of their mm -hmm. operations. You highlight a lot of the ways that Exxon and Mobil and other companies are doing that. Um, but at some point, it's obviously going to, to make sense for them to diversify in different ways. So it's more a matter, uh, I think, of uh, you know, sort of not which strategy you're going to pursue, but when you're going to pursue that strategy. Mm -hmm. and it, what, do you, what, do you, what do you see as, as the right timing? Well, I, I think I hinted that it really it really depends on where you are, and we've seen much more aggressive moves from European companies than we have from from North American companies because uh, the feedstocks are are more expensive in Europe, um, and and there's less opportunity to move into natural gas, which is really a a, a nice uh, backup plan uh, for companies like ExxonMobil. Um, so so the timing differs depending on where you are and what your resources look like, um, but. Diversification is really going to be continue to be important because we're not going to see um, we're not going to see a decrease in in the ratcheting up of pressure against uh, against the burning of fossil fuels. Um, over time, that's going to continue to rise. Um, so we're, we're we're really we're really going to have to see um, companies moving in new directions, and, and you can't forever uh, be based entirely on oil. Um, so natural gas will last for a while. I would I would expect um, some some pretty reasonable long long legs on that in North America, um, uh, but oil oil is very rapidly going to become a much cheaper commodity, and you're not going to be able to depend on uh, on it being a cash cow for very much longer. We'll probably see a spike in uh, um, in oil prices in the early uh, 2020s, and then this kind of analysis is going to look very silly to a lot of people. Um, but that's really, but that's really the. the, the so what do, you, what do you think is driving the, the, the? Why do you? Why are you predicting the price? Well, well, the price it, well it, it's, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not, not a prediction that's unique to me. It's, it's really um, everyone knows that there's not a lot of investment going on in new, uh, in new drilling mm -hmm. and things like that right now. So we'll see a spike in in prices in the 2020s. And that's really your your last opportunity to to sell out of some of these uh, some some of these oil resources and get into more diversification. Uh, and companies should be very very well poised by that point to 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 make that leap. Mm -hmm. So, 
there's a couple of questions uh, related to to China, and I think a couple different viewpoints on it, it related in here. One of which is, uh, you know, that uh, wondering if this isn't a, a sort of a view that's too focused on the developed world and saying, well, you know, maybe maybe gasoline cars and diesel is going to give way in the developed world, but won't countries like China make up the difference? Um, on the other hand, we had another attendee ask, you know, how is China's announcement to abandon an internal combustion engines going to affect the, the global petrochemical market? So, how do you see the right? So, so we've seen a lot of announcements of this of this sort, and 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 whether it's in Europe or or in India or in China, uh, the time frames can really vary from 2035 or even earlier to 2040, or in the case of China, it's kind of a vague pronouncement where they don't really give a time frame, um, that, or at least not a strong time frame. Um, so my, my feeling about China especially is that um, the country is really not enthusiastic about being dependent on foreign oil over the long term. And, um, and we've seen in the past that when it makes up its mind to to move into a, a new area like solar, for instance, it can do it mm -hmm. in a very big way and very quickly. And right now they're ramping up electric vehicles in exactly that way. Now, I, I wouldn't say that their electric vehicles are fantastic at the moment, but over the next 10 years, I imagine they will be as com they will be competitive with with the types of electric vehicles that we see in the developed world. Um, so I wouldn't depend on China. Uh, the way uh, some companies have have claimed that they're going to depend on China to uh, to soak up excess oil. Um, it remains to be seen what happens in places like Africa as we start to see those economies develop, whether they'll leapfrog directly to electric vehicles because the batteries will be actually cheaper than the internal combustion engine, or whether they will make take advantage of the of the loyal, low oil prices to to continue to use uh, com uh, combustion engines. Um, either way, uh, that that suggests that the oil prices have already dropped, uh, so that's not going to save you either. Mm -hmm. um, a couple other questions on the on the uh, on the oil companies, and there's a lot about the petrochemical end of things that I, I think we should get to too. But um, you know, someone asked, why wouldn't uh, the oil companies like ExxonMobil or others just be able to um, deploy sort of their massive scaling ability to support any kind of future energy supply, uh, even if they are late to the game? Some companies have shown this. And even Facebook is an example, right? They they were kind of behind on Instagram and some of the photo sharing, so they just bought Instagram and, and scaled it themselves. Um, it, it's uh, I don't know how often ExxonMobil or, or oil companies get compared to Facebook, but how, how do you see that these companies just being able to use their resources to right so so right now they're very deep pocketed and um and and they're very powerful at this moment um but as we start to see the demand for oil drop off their ability to um to continue to to have those deep pockets um and 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 to to keep investors engaged despite uh Despite the fact that even even now they're losing money in dividends, um, it, it becomes weaker and weaker. So once the writing's on the wall, um, their ability to make big investments is going to start to decline pretty rapidly. Uh, they really need to take the, the take the, the the money that they have now and start to make investments in diversification. And and it starts right now. Um, and I do think they've got a little bit of a window in the early 2020s to to 
um, to sell off extra assets um, to people that want to double down on oil. But uh, but but that's this is the time frame that we're looking at just the next five years or so in order to to make these kinds of adjustments. Yeah. Yeah. So it's moving a little bit to the to the petrochemical um, side of things when you know the, obviously the. The analysis you showed implies you're going to the the weakening demand for oil is going to lead to decrease in in, in the price, which could could advantage um, petrochemicals, um, a in, in a lot of applications. But but one of the attendees also asked so if when when gasoline uh, demand declines significantly, what happens to the cost of chemical feedstocks if gasoline production isn't driving the economies of scale for the refinery? And then a follow-on or related question to that is, doesn't that potentially make bio-based chemical manufacturing uh, more attractive as we shift the economics on oil production? Yeah, well, the, the changes in scale will definitely, uh, um, it, it, will, it will freeze out some markets. And it was highlighting Northern Europe as a, as a market where you're not going to see large-scale production of, of uh, transportation fuel. I do expect that there are going to be areas like the Middle East where there's still enough uh, enough scale that uh, the petrochemicals are, are highly competitive. Um, but we may see in in some cases uh, um, uh, more attractive markets for for things like bio-based uh, um, chemicals. Um, and it and it and it really depends on on how this dynamic plays forward. Um, the one thing we know is that um, ExxonMobil and Saudi Aramco have technologies to go directly from crude to chemicals. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you don't necessarily have to have enormous scale uh, to make that continue to work. And you've got very cheap commodity that no one else wants in the ground um, that at least in places like Saudi Arabia is very cheap to get out of the ground. Um, and um, and so so in places like that, I expect that, uh, that, that petrochemicals will continue to become continue to be very, uh, very attractive. Mm -hmm. I guess this is, uh, well, this is, a, this is actually another interesting angle on this one that came in that, uh, that takes us back to fuels a little bit. But so it talks about, um, do you see, one, potentially the growth in chemical demand uh, making up for the decreasing demand in, in transportation, um, in transportation fuel? And then um, also, to, to what extent do you see the growth in demand for aviation fuels in the coming decades, um, where there's less clear non-carbon alternatives, mm -hmm. offsetting the decline in uh, in oil com consumption for um, for automotive fuels? Yeah. So, so to take the the second question first, the aviation industry uh, is fairly well consolidated, and it's also very international. So they have to pay attention to the. Uh, uh, to the uh, uh, regulations in places like Europe that can be very strict. Uh, and so, so we've seen at least um, vague references from the aviation industry toward uh, moving towards uh, higher efficiency and, and, and more biofuels in order to, in order to offset their, their carbon footprint so that they don't get hammered with, with, a, lot of, uh, with a lot of taxes and things like that. Um, the extent to which that happens depends on how how much affordable biofuel can be produced, and actually the scale of the biofuel production can scale up to um, a reasonable percentage of, of aviation fuel use. So, I do think that's a, that's a, a viable option for for that industry. 
As far as uh, chemicals ramping up to replace um, to replace uh, fuel use in in oil, the the numbers don't really match up. The 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 percentage of of oil that's used for chemicals is actually quite small. Uh, it's single it's single digit, and uh, and so I don't I don't see barring really outlandish uh, uh, expansions in 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 production of things like plastics. Uh, I don't I don't see that really um, offsetting oil. I think I think the the drop in oil price will 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 happen anyway. Mm-hmm. Um. All right, maybe we've got time for just a couple of more questions. I wanted to to sneak this one in because a couple people have um, have asked about it, um, which is the question of energy storage. Um, you know, so so somebody remarked, oil is both a fuel and and has an energy storage capability. Can we dig into the energy storage aspect of that? And a couple of people have also asked about um, you know throwing some light on the the lithium ion battery market and and is it is it true that that's going to be posed to become a you know a hundred billion dollar market in the next decades if if these these sort of uh, projections bear out. So so as far as the the detailed um, analysis of those markets, I'll 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 leave that to to other colleagues to to extrapolate on. I can't I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to tell you the exact size of that market going forward. But uh, but it is obviously going to grow very rapidly um, as electric vehicle uh, use grows. Um, and um and and of course oil is a very efficient um uh, energy storage uh, 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 substance that's why it's being used for transportation fuel because it's very compact um i'm not sure how that how how you can how you can reverse engineer that except through biofuels and and uh, and they've got their own uh, cost issues. Yeah, we've done a little bit of research in our alternative fuels group on things like electrofuels. I can actually use electricity to synthesize hydrocarbons, but um, but those are all synthetic. that's not particular. Yeah, that's very early stage. The, the, the reason oil is attractive is because it's already built, right? <laughs> right. Uh, you don't you don't have to go out and make it, um, and uh, and and it'll continue to be. Um, to be useful for for those areas where it's still allowed to be used. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, sort of last question, and I'll, I'll throw this in here as a bit of a shameless plug because it relates to a couple of the uh, the upcoming events that you see listed on the screen. But uh, as someone did ask, what's the role uh, of digital transformation on energy and hydrocarbons through you know, blockchain, big data, and analytics, and, and artificial intelligence? Yeah. So, so we know that. Um, the automotive market is going to change dramatically uh, with auto- autonomous vehicles. Um, we're all struggling to understand exactly how fast and 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 how uh, uh, and how completely that'll change, um, but that's certainly uh, something that my colleagues are focused on. And we know that the grid is going to have to grow and change dramatically as well um, as we're um, and get a lot smarter as as we're putting a lot more pressure on it to uh, to fuel our vehicles. Um, so um, we see a lot of growth in these areas, a lot of potential in these areas, and, and, uh, and the types of investments that Total has made um, reflect the complexity of that space. You know, it, rather than just buying a, a lithium-ion battery company, they had to buy all of the connected uh, tissue, basically, that, 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 that makes that work and makes that make sense. Um, and so there's a lot of opportunities in that space. and, and uh, I guess October 12th, you can learn more about, more about that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you certainly see that, uh, and that's something you're, you're 
exploration and production team spends a lot of time on these days mm -hmm. the digital oil field and just ways that at least in the meantime as you're focusing on on exploration and production you can you can at least use those technologies to get some some efficiency well, well that, that's a good point we're seeing a lot of automation and things like offshore oil uh, really really dramatically reduces the cost if you can get some people off of those platforms um, and, uh, and and understanding um, where the oil's Coming from in any given play in any given uh, well, um, it really depends on on these types of technologies as well. All right. Well, that that brings us to the uh, the the end of the webinar for today. Thanks very much to to Brent for the presentation and and fielding all these questions. We definitely didn't get to all of them. Um, if you have others, feel free to to email them to that address you see on the screen: marketing at luxresearchinc.com. Um, and the slides will be available uh, uh, to, to all the attendees within in 24 to 48 hours. So thanks again to Brent, and thanks to all of you for joining us on this Lux Research webinar. Have a good day. Thanks. Bye.